summer, Mike likes machine guns. I like machine guns. We have all dead air employees. Wow. Once again. We've had that a couple times, haven't we? And one specific one, our chief engineer. Todd McGee. Every once in a while they let me out of the the salt mine. (laughs) We have a new can. We're going to talk about it. First, maybe more importantly than a new can launch, we have... (laughs) Shut up. Silver Falls Purified Water. New water sponsor. If you're on YouTube, you'll get a shot at that fancy label. They can say what they want, but that's just Kroger Water with a different brand. I got it at a fine discount outlet. 100% satisfaction or your money back. Here's your five cents. Now go about your business. I'm going to try this out. I will say it isn't BPA. Oh, it is BPA free. Never mind. It's quality water, bro. Silver, Silver Falls. Maybe Arrowhead or Smart Water will come back. I don't know. I kind of like these sponsors. We'll see. We'll see. We'll take it as it comes. Yeah. So. Let's talk about Todd's new can. Well, before we want to do that, should we, uh, well, I mean, I know. Should we talk about Todd? Let's talk about Todd because we've we've had a lot of requests to have Todd on. um, And we're now fulfilling those requests. Think of this as a stage for one Todd McGee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess we're going to have you. Wait to hear about the can till the end, so you have to hear about me, right? You can do it however you want. People can fast forward or whatever. Right on. Cool. It's true. Where you did can't uh, make them listen. Where did Todd begin? Pre-silencer, and then first job within the industry, you guys had a happy marriage. At the beginning, you guys go way back. Yeah, we kind of do now, don't we? Well, a little bit. There's some history there. Yeah. Well, let's see. So, um, you know, going way back, I originally wanted to be an artist, actually. Probably. Rich as well. Like a painter? Yeah. I wanted to do something with art, but I like food with my meals. And I just, I'm I'm not that good. So (laughs) I decided to to tap into my engineering and technical side. So I uh, uh, got an engineering degree. Uh, I worked from electronics, like iOmega Corporation. Remember the zip drive? Yes. Like, like that's going way back. Mike loved his zip drive. I know. Um, but uh, hold on, <laughs> I'm not really sure what that is. I've seen the word, but it was a, a computer drive. Anyway, it was a long time ago. Uh, so I got to work on some of the development teams at that, and then I uh, went into medical and did uh, everything from. Like, if you've had an IV, I've probably done something with that. Mm. Like, if, if it's one of the high-end ones, because I got to work on the high-end products. And uh, so, uh, really minor little, from design details to manufacturability to to the process side. And I've always been in that role where I've, my background is manufacturing engineering, but I've always been in this role of being part R&D, product development, part manufacturing so I've straddled both. And so it's kind of that situation where I'm pretty good at seeing this is what it takes to design a product and this is what it yeah. takes to get it manufactured. I just had an IV. Yeah, nice. This no, you had a blood draw. That's a, Oh, well, if, that's right. You're right. That's different. So that's a... So a if plasma. you're lucky, a push, push, blood, uh, push button blood collection yeah, device by BD Medical is... And I actually did a tiny bit of work on that. Because there was a process issue with it, and I worked on that production line very briefly to help with a few things. Huh. Every time so. I get my blood drawn, I'm going to think of you now. Yeah. So your products <laughs> aren't used at the plasma center down on State Street? Not typically, because those are... It's a little bit of a low-budget operation. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, But some of the fancier IVs, uh, I got to work on those, and those were really cool. From syringes, scalpels, IVs, uh, peripherally inserted central catheters, like... You know, you go in here, but you end up pretty much in the heart. So with a catheter, yeah, 
And wow. then, uh, so not that kind of catheter. Sure. Like Obviously, that's where everyone heads go. This yeah. kind of catheter, right? So, so does so. it just like go up into your vein and around? And yeah, you if you're not on YouTube, Todd just pointed to different parts of his body. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, the uh, and and as well as central lines where you plug right in, like subvena cava stuff like that. And I'm I'm not a doctor, not that much into like the exact anatomy of it all, but it was fun. Like, you know, we, you know, we're putting sensors in weird places and stuff like that. So look at Todd helping save lives. It's cool. And I feel like I'm still in medical because I'm now into hearing protection. Let's put it that way. There you go. Hearing conservation. You've made your living dealing with the human body. Kind of have. It's weird. And equipment for it. Yeah. So, um, the, uh, you know, I, kind of a caveat is, we were joking about it earlier with the sound equipment, like the whole ASMR experience. Like mm-hmm. I'm super sensitive to sound and I have something called misophonia, which is like a hatred of sound is roughly what it translates to. But I have a like basically a processing disorder where I hear everything that goes on and it's tough because, you know, there's typically, you know, air handling equipment. Mm-hmm. There's, there are people talking across the room. There might be a teacher or, you know, um, I don't know, just my wife talking to me. And my problem is I'm hearing everything and I have to choose what I want to listen to. I have misophonia too then. Yeah. Because I choose not to listen to my wife a lot. <laughs> That's a great, you, you can now claim that. Like, yes. what, baby? What? what? No, don't I, worry. It's misophonia. I was listening it's to the thing. kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, like... The best example is listening to chewing gum, right? Yeah, like, you hate that. I just, I see red. Like, I have a physiological response to that. Yeah. And, uh, but I also feel like it's a little bit of a superpower because I can hear a lot of things that some people can't because I just, it's not just physical. Like, I can hear across a broad sound spectrum, but I'm just really good at picking up all, like, the nuances of sound. Mm. And um, so... The, the weird thing is, is that I feel like I, I didn't even do it consciously, but I I love shooting. I love going out hunting. I didn't want to go hunting with a suppressor or without a suppressor. Mm. So, and walking around with earplugs in case you have to do a quick snapshot at like a coyote or a jackrabbit or whatever around the desert. Um, I decided I'm going to get a suppressor. And when I did, it was an Opsync 12th model when they very, very first came available to the public because it's just the military was using them at the time. And uh, anyway, it was a fantastic experience. It was so cool. Except that I hated how loud it was at the ear mm. because of the, the AR-15 action was so loud. So I began playing with it and studying, you know, how can I make the sound better, delaying the action opening and all that. And I feel like I ended up with a setup that was amazing. And so I've, I figured out before I ever even got in the industry, you can make something hearing safe on an AR like, I wouldn't shoot it all day long, but it was pretty incredible. Like, it didn't burn my ears so much, and I've got super sensitive ears. Like, dropping the bolt on an AR will ring my ears. Really? Yeah. So You kind of are like an X-Men. <laughs> Do you sleep light, like, at night? Do you have to wear anything in your ears? I wear earplugs when I go to bed, and when I do, it's like a sleeping pill. I'm out, like, in 30 seconds. It's pretty crazy. My wife is always mad at me perpetually. I would be, too. That's she sits there seething at me, like, looking at me in the dark. And you're just out. Yeah. Like, Sorry, like, honey. Like, yeah, like a baby. Be um, as mad as you want. I'm asleep. <laughs> I can't hear you, babe. So, uh, the uh, yeah, if I cut off that input, I, I can go out. But um, the, I like the way you put that, cut off that input. <laughs> <laughs> Such an engineering way of putting things. Yeah. Anyways, so I, uh, the, the funny thing was, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm a manufacturing engineer, and I like, I like to design stuff, so I decided to design a product. So... I should have brought it today. That would have been a fun show and tell. Oh, so dang. I designed a, a, a sound suppressor, kind of collaborating with others online on the old silencer. Uh, what was it called? Silencer Talk Forum. Uh, and it, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, I designed something that you could you could machine in just two different setups, basically. I think it ended up in two, where it was a monocore design. It was pretty simple. But mm. it worked out really well, and it sounded rim, good. Rimfire. Yeah, just a rimfire, sorry. And... Uh, so, uh, Jonathan Schultz at Silencer Co., back before Silencer Co., actually, anybody even knew about it, he saw the engraving on my suppressor when it was shown online, and it, it showed that I was in Utah. And so, he called me up or contacted me and just said, hey, 
you know what, we're actually starting something you might be interested in seeing this. Nobody else really knows about it outside of close friends and family. And mm. so uh, I went and saw their operation and, you know, he was curious if I'd like to help in any way because it seemed like I kind of knew what I was doing just from making one suppressor. And he had a box of about 50 different cores sitting there next to a CNC machine. And his 50th one actually was one they were comfortable with going to market. So they had developed the first 22 Sparrow, the old aluminum one. Mm-hmm. And my suppressor matched his. So my 50th version mm. matched that one pretty much in sound performance. So it was kind of fun. And and he, so we started collaborating at that point. And, uh, and then I ended up investing in the company. And uh, that was when I met Mike Pappas after a while. He wasn't always there when I was there. I, the funny thing is we didn't really know each other that well, but we met... And he was super cool uh, once we moved into a new facility there at Silencer Co. I was like, okay, we're going to value stream map the processes. We're going to lay all this out. We're going to make sure this is a real streamlined operation. Because everybody at Silencer Co., uh, beside Mike being, you know, an incredibly technical, mechanical person, there were really no engineers yet. I think Mm. they were just hiring a family member that had gotten out of school at the time and uh, so I was kind of helping out with some of the real technical nerdy questions and then doing some design work on the mm. side for like the Osprey and the next gen, uh, Sparrow. Then you and, came full time. Yeah. Then I came full time, but I remember hanging out in Mike's office a lot cause he was the only one cool enough to let me lay out like a giant piece of paper and We'd put it around, I think two walls. Yeah. We would map the Taked process it on there. Yeah. We'd, we'd change really? post-it notes around like first you need to, you know, do this, you know, everything from order raw material to, to, you know, machine parts and assembly and coatings and all that. And, you know, where, where does the signal come in for the, the ATF forms and purchasing and POs and invoicing and all that kind of stuff. So Mm. we did a pretty broad approach to the process to kind of help everybody see what was happening. That's cool. Yeah. That was kind of my first experience or exposure to, uh, legitimate manufacturing as it would be set up if you want it to work Mm. (laughs) and even if you do that it doesn't always work but it works better yeah yeah it works if you thoughtfully plan it out so it's awesome yeah then at that point uh silencer co uh convinced me to come on full-time and i ran their operations for a while it was a kind of a short period but we just bought uh, swr at the time Mm. and uh i forgot i was gonna wear one of my old swr t-shirts just for fun today uh, but What's uh, SWR stand for? I swear it had like three it's or four uh, different names. South. Well, Southwestern <laughs> Weapons Research, I think. Yeah. Or Southeastern. Southeastern. Weapons Research. That's right. Yeah. Mm. The so, original SWR. Yeah, Joe Gadini ran it, made incredible cans back then. They were yeah. super cool. And uh, so he had already given up that company to uh, to a couple of basically friends at the time, because he went on to, to take care of Grip Pod and uh, make, make a grundle of money doing that. Yeah. He was like, ah, I can't be distracted by this little suppressor company. Yeah. And so he handed it off because he wanted customers to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool of him. And uh, so I was over the operation at the time when we ramped up SWR products there, which were basically redesigned by Henry at that point, and then uh, helped a little bit with design work. While I was there, uh, the uh, the twenty two Sparrow in the steel form, like everybody sees it now, is based on my second version, uh, where we solved some problems with tumbling bullets by alternating baffles and mm. things like that. Uh, Jonathan Schultz added all the final touches on it, made it look cool, and uh, you know, really in the end, it's his product. You know, got to give him credit for that. And uh, the uh, from there, um, I was. One of the people, I was probably the first to be part of the horde that got, you know, exited. Let's uh, just put it that way. The excommunication. Yeah. So I think it was me, then Henry Graham, I think. No, I got it. Next? I got it before Henry did. I think Henry was six or ten months after me, something like that, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. There was a lot of revamping there for a while. Yeah. So anyway, so... You know, great experience, though, but it was, I was in a very corporate world, and I had mastered my job. Like, I knew how to deal with all the FDA stuff. Uh, 
you know, how to get new products launched, how to, all the internal processes where I worked. The corporate world is very structured because you have mm-hmm. a really big apple cart and you don't want to upset it. So you very slowly, methodically move that cart forward. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really good at that. But the other thing I think that I'm pretty good at is seeing what are those really important aspects of that and how do we streamline it for a little tiny company? You know, how are we controlling our drawings? How are we methodically developing product? How do we test it so that once we test it, you know, we're actually replicating what a customer is going to use so that, or going to do, and we get a good product out of mm-hmm. it. You know, what does the customer really need? Are we satisfying that? Then there's a lot of problem solving that goes along that process too. You know, there's issues sometimes that arise with manufacturing and Yep, that's shipping. the biggest struggle for me is we made a decision up front based on literally the scar tissue provided by our time together at Silencer Co. that um, <laughs> we don't want to be massively in debt. And so we decided that we were going to um, start a company where we were not running manufacturing machines in a shop and being distracted by that, but be able to focus on the development side. Um, and if for whatever reason, market fluctuations, anything like that, we you know, we, we could adapt to it. Pivot as needed. Have some insulation to it. Yeah. I don't know if people really realize the amount of separation in design and manufacture as two complete different businesses, although I get they have to work hand in hand, but the manufacturing grind is its own daily issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the design side is the same way. It's just like marketing. You have to be able to work with all of those but it is a complete separate unit Mm -hmm. i've learned a lot about specifically our process through all the data sometimes i will admit my artistic creative brain it's like drinking water through a fire hose because you're very informative you know (laughs) a lot of it comes at me but i've gleaned a lot of of valuable information uh, from the marketing side of things because we are very reliant on how things are going with your process, the manufacturing process, understanding timing and dates and all that good stuff. And it's been a, it's been an awesome year learning about that process. And now it's even cooler hearing about how, you know, the scar tissues that were formed in previous, (laughs) you know, roles uh, has shaped the process today. Yeah. I think uh, the, uh, so we, we got back to those fundamentals of, we're not going to allow ourselves to be distracted by this. We're going to design something. We're going to let somebody else focus on that. And the tough part is if we were just running a shop, I know I could run it. I could kill it. It'd be fantastic. That's literally what I went to school and what I, I did as uh, a profession. It's so hard to hand that off though. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we really rely on manufacturing partners and a lot of people don't know that about us that, you know what, they're machine shops. We work really closely with them as best we can. Uh, we have a manufacturing partner where the final assembly occurs. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, but we take care of all the customers. And if there's an issue, we go right, you know, to manufacturing. We say, all right, we got to we gotta get this squared away. We got to fix it. But we, and it's a difficult thing to do. Like, you know, if I had my choice, I'd be at the manufacturing facility every other week. And You'd spending time there. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Because I'd be right there, like, freaking out about, you know, if anything's not being made correctly, I'd be mm-hmm. all about the quality side of it. So that's kind of a tough thing to hand off to somebody. And uh, and we've seen some ups and downs. You know, we've we've been at the whim of manufacturing partners where they're figuring stuff out. And the key thing is we've always fixed it, though. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I want to make sure people know is that, uh, you know, if there is an issue, we address it and uh, take care of it. That and, I, you know, this far into the game, what, we're in year seven, eight? That's a good question. Seven or eight. Six. Seven. Mean, that's, that's seven. It's a, a good I amount of time. Seven as well. It's yeah. gone by to where I think you still stand firm and, and confident in the decision that was made early on about the manufacturing process. Because I think that's definitely a question from the consumer side that comes up a lot. You know, do you guys manufacture, you have like a plant inside your, you know, warehouse at the HQ and stuff. And yeah. I think uh, one thing that very few people really understand is how 
segmented manufacturing is. Like, it's not everybody is exactly vertically integrated, as they say. Like, mm. um, Silencer Co. kind of tried it. Like, I remember in that first little garage bay that we were in, uh, you know, there were a bunch of plastic, you remember these plastic containers sitting under a table in the eastern side of the room where the plan was we're actually going to do anodization here in these yes. containers. Like, at, you know, it was like a home workshop science fair project. Some of that hurt <laughs> bad. Yeah. So. Some of that. And it's, there's good and bad with anything. And like you say, a person that has maybe not a lot of experience in it, their first thought is, oh, you don't manufacture. You're not really a manufacturer. And another person is like, oh, that's actually super smart. Yeah. It all has its ups and downs right. and good and bad. I, It's just something that you have to navigate through and you choose a path and then try to continue to hone that and fix the little problems along the way and make mm-hmm. it better and better every year. Well, I think what we're saying right now kind of sheds a lot of interesting light on that to kind of, I guess, quell the, the debate there. Yeah. That. Like you could look at Porsche, for example. Uh, they're not, as far as I know, casting their own engine blocks. They're not always stamping their own fenders. Um, but what they are doing is the final assembly. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing that, that in and they're, they're putting it together. And that's the portion that we decided that we weren't going to do was mm-hmm. that final assembly portion. Because for us, let's be honest, sometimes we're just stacking parts in a tube. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that hard. And, but we've gotten more and more complicated. And that's where maybe someday we will bring some processes in-house as things get more complicated. But, uh, you know, we're lucky right now to have a manufacturing partner that's really good at, you know, welding. Mm. So uh, let the welders weld, you know. I'm, right. I'm actually not a good welder, so I'm kind of glad for that. Uh, and you look at other suppressor manufacturers and... Uh, very few are actually machining all their parts in house. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why there are a lot of small machine shops around the country that that and big machine shops that can make these components that honestly are not that difficult to make by mm-hmm. and large. We have some complicated structures, but um, yeah. So, uh, well, the, like with anything, making a hundred is a lot different than making a hundred thousand yeah excellent point the scalability fit together from the first hundred batch and the last ten thousand batch that's that's the hard part remember the first a little shift as it goes (laughs) well in simpler (laughs) terms for me i boil it down to this like we make our own t-shirts we come out with our own unique designs. We but we don't really make t-shirts. We no. don't spin yarn. No, we don't do that. We're not but buying we, a silk screen. We source the right people to do the job the way we want it. And then the final product comes to the customer and a big smile is on their face. We're not a print shop. But it doesn't mean we don't make t-shirts. I worked at Shirtworks when I was in high school, like silk screening and oh, bathing nice. myself in acetone. Yeah. I'm not doing that again. That explains a lot, Todd. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this third arm grows I up hear that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it explains a lot, too. So speeding up, there's the exodus. We've got our process now seven years into it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're in 2021, and we have a new can. Yeah. We have a new can we're launching later this month. I think this episode's going to this episode is going to air right after the official launch. It'll be a little bit of a kind of a terminator thing, kind of hard to follow the timeline. Yeah. Yep. It's like we're talking in the future right now, but we're not. Trippy. This is Todd Rich and Mike from the past. <laughs> when you hear this, it will have been a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about this can. Yeah. Oh, just so you know, uh, Marcus, before I forget, make sure this doesn't air before the launch. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's get into the, what's this can called? All right, this can's called Primal. And um, it could be a noun. It could be an adjective. We're going to let you choose. Yeah. So um, the uh, the whole intent of this, this was actually a difficult thing for me because uh, the the request for this product has been out there for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is probably the fourth or fifth version of it that I've designed. 
And in the past, this was going to launch like three years ago. Uh, it was all titanium, and it was right when there's a giant spike in titanium prices. Mm. And uh, we just decided it's not worth launching. We had other priorities at the time. So, yeah, we moved on at, at that point. Well, you could I, – I get what you're saying, but truth be told, we've had – five different versions of a lot of things that for yeah. one reason or another have not come to market. There's always two or three things in the works. And yep. how many things have we thought would be awesome and then got them to the range and been like, um, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Funny. Right. It's always frustrating. We're going to do this I'm again. Like, this is it. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then I give it to Mike and he's like, yeah, this kind of sucks. That's what I'm everyone sure. thinks about their first marriage. You know, <laughs> not me. My wife's gonna watch this. I'm well, sure. you thought that about your first marriage. Hey, you thought all, it was gonna be awesome, and it was, and it is. We all have first wives. Don't right, make three it. Of us. I think we all have first wives and still have them. <laughs> yeah, correct. I'm not. Look, I, I didn't it. mean that negative. I'm sure. just saying that's what people think. Yeah, I love it when you introduce Mrs. Pappas as your first wife to people. Yeah. And that's My daughters funny. also love it when I introduce them as the daughters from Sherry's first marriage. <laughs> and then the people are always like, ladies will always look at me like, oh, you seem so natural with them. I didn't know. I'm like, well, I never said she'd been married twice. Those are her daughters from her first marriage, which she's still freaking happily in. Right now, today. Yes. Probably the happiest woman on earth in there. <laughs> and your daughters go along with it so well, too. They have such a great sense of humor. Well, they have to. Yes. Yeah, there's no choice. Your mic's moving on you. It is. It's okay. It's encroaching. It loves you. All right, the primal can. All right, so primal. So This is round uh, five. Yeah, so we went through several versions. Some were... Uh, more along the lines of the Nomad, some were just completely off the wall designs. And the fun thing about this one was, you know, we'd done the work on Wolfman, and that, while it's a simple cone design, which I'd love to say, like all of our designs are really unique, cool, baffle designs, a cone with a clip in it is actually pretty basic nowadays. Um, it's ubiquitous and it's really easy to see what somebody else has done and just say, okay, well, if I, if I take this cone and if I repeat it a whole bunch and I scoot them really close together, it's bound to work pretty well. And I mean, it's easy to bring a product to market like that. And if you scooch them all together, you're a lover of port noise, huh? Yeah, you are. So (laughs) what you end up having is uh, the best the best way to put it is I call it over-optimized because there's a point at which when baffles get really close together, they're, they begin to not work well. And it's interesting, the performance just falls off super fast. Like you move it like 10 or 20 thousandths of an inch, like it's a really tiny amount closer, and all of a sudden you'll just see the performance drop, and it's, 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 it's pretty stark. So, so what direction did we go with the primal? Um, well, it's, so it, it kind of goes back to Wolfman where we decided, I, you know, we could slam these together and what you get is, I guess, first understand what it means by being over-optimized. The spacing between baffles is not very efficient, but by the time, and, and you may have like, I don't know, uh, a, a pretty significant drop off, like five to 10%. But by the time you put them all together, you have room to put two or three more baffles in. And now suddenly you might have a 10 or 20% gain. So you end up with a net gain by doing that. And that's why you see a lot of these suppressors with a ton of baffles stacked together, making sure that the notch is is aligned is really important because you're not just directing gas across the bore path to the next baffle. You're directing it across to the next two or three baffles. Mm. And it really causes a spike in back pressure, um, and it costs more to manufacture. Um, the tone can change. So uh, what we did on Wolfman is we really looked at where exactly is that precipitous fall off, and we're going to stop at that point. 
we're still going to make sure there's a proper amount of baffles in here to get the performance that we want. But we really focused on both baffle geometry, the clip, the spacing, all those key variables. And that's why the Wolfman really works as well as it does mm. because there's actually been a lot of testing to get it exactly where it is. And we took that and we scaled it and tested that out and that became primal, but with a bigger bore. And it's a l really hard to work with a big bore because gas just wants to fr freely move through. The good thing is, is you're guaranteed to have lower back pressure at that point. Mm. So, so let's talk about the range then. You say big bore, how low can this go? Yeah, and so how high can it go? I, if you want to shoot some twenty two through through it, actually, no. we don't really recommend that. Don't do that because no, it builds up crud. I guess maybe we we'll just talk off. about the, the strengths. Like where where yeah. does this shine? Like on the uh, from low to high. Yeah, so for me, this is a fantastic nine millimeter can. Like it really sounds good. I would still recommend Wolfman because the versatility of it. But you're going to go from that smaller caliber working with like either handgun uh, all the way up to subgun. But really, then you can get into the 45 caliber range, uh, 10 millimeter projectiles, 45. Uh, but it's it's going to take you all the way to, to uh, 338 Lapua Mag. So Ooh. you can run it on rifle. Um, you can run it really high pressure. And, uh, you know, we don't want you machine gunning it with 338 Lapua Mag, but mm -hmm. nobody really does that. So we have an expectation that the customers actually kind of understand their usage, which is always a dangerous thing we understand. Sure. But Well, we're bringing it up now. Yeah. There so you go. There you go. Now, well, now I'd you know. like to say this from, and I love the technical aspect that you have, and I'm of the utilitarian mindset. Once the bore gets so large, a little bit bigger bore has a much greater surface area. Mm. You know, the, mm -hmm. the amount of gas that can flow through that hole becomes exponentially larger as that area grows. I like to keep them in a little bit of a tighter range, personally. And I don't want to oversell or have a customer expect more then it will deliver very well. I've seen cans of very large bore like this can get sold as a one-size-fits-all and you don't need anything else. Mm. Look, I like a crescent wrench as much as the next guy, but I'm not throwing all my wrenches away because this sure. one's SAE and metric and does every size. Would you say this can, because of the map that it covers, would be like a good entry-level can? Absolutely. Like, and it this does, is my first can. I can experience it on different calibers, ranging, uh, uh, casting a pretty wide net. I don't want it to sound like, look, I just, I want to make sure that we're not over-promising and under-delivering. Mm. To Todd's point, when we started to shoot it on 9mm, we were like, oh, mm -hmm. that really sounds good on 9 yeah. And it sounds good on anything, any bottleneck cartridge that we've ever shot through it. 5.56, five, and it actually, it works very well over a very wide range. When we took that out to, oh, go ahead, sir. Oh, I was just going to say, but I wouldn't want to sell it to a person per se. I'm not sure how I, I don't want this to sound negative, but I just, to be honest and we want people to be happy in the end. Yes, to your point, it is a very good starting can. And you might want to put some specific bore size mm. cans in to round out what you're trying to accomplish and suppress several different firearms. Yeah, You wouldn't use your elk hunting rifle to shoot prairie dogs with. Well, I do, but yeah, I'm special. I was going to say. I'm kind of weird. <laughs> I would too. But... <laughs> We do have other products that are really optimized, specifically focused. geared towards very specific cartridges and bore size ranges. Yeah. Yep. So this is one of those where if you want to figure out, like, I want to do some rifle, but I also want to do some pistol. Sure. Um, it can be good. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a little bigger and heavier than a than a Wolfman, but uh, actually, you know what? I haven't put them side by side. It might actually be. Let me, let me feel it. I'm trying to remember. It's definitely it's, heavier than the Wolfman. Yeah. Size-wise, it's around the same length. and The Wolfman's yeah. a little girthier. But it's not, it's not modular. With the Wolfman, you can mm -hmm. take off that front module, run it compact. It's actually really cool on a pistol. 
I had a lot of fun shooting, or I did more watching of Mike shoot it, which is just as fun because there was no ear pro, especially on, like, some of the high caliber from the person standing next to Mike shooting. I just, I, I was blown away by that. It was, like, really fun to watch that can go on these different platforms. And I'm like, really? We're going to put it on that? Yeah. And it's it a pretty wide fantastic. range that it sounds pretty darn good on. Yeah, yeah like 450 Marlin, I was kind of surprised because I thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be a bad experience. And, it, I mean, it doesn't make it sound like it's, you know, a Nomad L on 6.5 Creedmoor, like crazy weird quiet. But you can shoot it. It's comfortable. Um, it It's not ear-splitting to people standing around. It's completely usable. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun to, to do. And it, it also points to really good, uh, you know, one thing I really like about how we do testing here is uh, you know, we, we have sound numbers on this from uh, – you know, some really, you know, the high-end B&K equipment, all that. But in the end, after we went through the configurations, what we did is we went out, we're on the side of road out in the middle of nowhere, shooting different locations. That's a nice facility. Yeah, it is. Don't, and it's, don't undersell it's, it. It's taxpayer-paid. BLM. You know, BLM <laughs> land. And being able to shoot, I mean, from customer service guys to marketing to engineering, we're all out there. We're all listening. We're all providing input, and we're trying to get a real life, like what's what is the customer experience mm-hmm. kind of a feel. Um, you know, a lot of people take it for granted that, uh, and they're I call it being a slave to the meter, where you know, we had this problem at that other company where, you know, all the product development happened in a lab pretty much, and, and I know there was still testing that was done outside but really what was most important was the lab work right like got to get that sound meter at the left of the muzzle and that's what's most important you did such Correct. a fantastic job that final the final product of that can i think even if you're not entry level right obviously i pointed to that direction because i'm kind of entry level to the industry you guys are like jedi masters and i'm over here mr padawan learning you know and to watch that can go on the different platforms was exciting and fun for me because I had never seen a can do that. I'm just calling myself out here now because I, I mean, I've seen all, of, obviously, we experienced all of our cans and the, the range that they shoot in, but um, that was just fun for me. So I don't know. I thought you did. I mean, the final product of this is it's fantastic. Well, thanks. It's I awesome. appreciate that. You killed it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, appreciate that. Todd did clean it up on that. This is my favorite can right now. I'm just going to th- say really? it was the Nomad TI. I really enjoyed how light it was. I love shooting it on the 308 Mauser uh, that one day at the range. I just, I couldn't stop. I remember I was getting tired holding it, but I was like, ah, one more. I got it, you know, because it was fun to shoot, um, especially with kind of a heavier rifle standing, shooting at 500 yards out with metallic sights. Like that TI was light enough for me that to handle fun. it. And you looked really good doing it. I'll say that, Mike. Well, we all know what's most important. Earlier, I said it. That's to look good. Well, to wrap it up, though, that is <laughs> now my new favorite can. Right on. I love shooting it. It's fun to be able to go from 45 handgun all the way to 338 Lapua Mag mm-hmm. and be able to. And I mean, there's so many things you can do with it. So it, this this was a real hard choice for us because way up front, we resisted for a long time because we're very purpose built, purpose driven. And this finally was one of those we looked at and said, you know, it's time. We do need to, to, to have something like this. This will be good for us. Well, you have to toy with it and make a few. And I think we got to the point to where we were comfortable with what we had. Yeah. Like compared going back to the Wolf 9SD, we actually had a 45 caliber version of that. And this just completely kills it. So it's fun to go back and compare and look at that and mm-hmm. and, and see how... Progression, right? Yeah, see how the progression worked. That's how we got from the tape cassette to that sweet compact disc. Yeah. <laughs> and the zip drive. And the zip drive, <laughs> yeah. The old zipper driver. Yeah. Um. Now, leading up to this, we've posted to this episode, right? Because this is going to air after we launch it. We've posted three teasers up to today. Um, and it's gotten people scratching their head. You know, we've used the word primal in each teaser. Let's talk a little more about this primal can. 
All right, Broke so caps. yeah, let's let's go through that right now. This one's in the white, uh, just because we didn't nitrate it. But uh, the 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 completed version obviously will will have a nitride coat on that. Uh, it's our normal front cap socket, so uh, you know threads in, stops on a taper, seals off the threads. You can remove it when you need to. Um, e brakes. Yeah, it'll take the well. This one we technically don't have a wolf. Oh, because we need e-brake. a back. We need a whole bigger thread, but I'm just yeah. saying the threads are there for it. Yeah, exactly. If you put on a uh, a Sandman e-brake, they're smaller diameter, so it'll stop on the front, won't stop on the taper. If you put a Nomad uh, e-brake on it, I think that'll still work, but it'll be bigger. Might be great for keeping a cover on, you know, so it doesn't well, slide it off won't the front. Allow 45 caliber projectiles to pass through the back aperture of the brake correct yeah so you have to be conscientious of that i guess what i'm saying is the groundwork is there for an e-brake yeah we'll come we need to come out with one that will allow 45 cal projectiles to go through but we'll get there it's one and three eighths threaded on the back yep one and three eighths thread so it'll take all of our current and other manufacturers any kind of hub or industry standard however you want to call it yeah i'm yeah, if you're married to some of those other platforms, you can still use that. It's cool. Um, the uh, and Zeno, so there's a lot of sure. I mean, sure, we have three. Options. We have three rifle type mounts: direct thread, Zeno, and Chemo. And then it will also do booster, three lug. Correct. So and there's it will a, ship there's with a lot of lot of mounting options there. Yeah, uh, it will come with a an adapter for boosters. So, uh, if you want to, you know, take the booster out of a Ghost, buy the the SD five hundred booster separately. Make sure you get the right piston. That, of course, will plug into this, make it into a pistol can. Um, it is a tubeless design, so you know we shed that extra weight of having a tube. So this comes out, I think, lighter. I really haven't looked at the exact stats on everything across the board, but when it comes to 45 cans, this is uh, and do all type suppressors. Like obviously it's going to be compared Let's to call the it do more, do more. I like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's going to do more than the do all cans that are out there. Um, the hybrid is the main thing it's compared to. Um, it's lighter than that. Um, so that's, that's a nice little advantage. It's just a, if memory serves, sorry, we've had so many different, it's a little shorter or a little longer? Uh, we ended up about an eighth inch longer in the end. Gotcha. Just because that version sounded so good. It we did. said, this is worth that it. That one extra baffle yeah. is a big yes. But and it's that, still long anyway, right? Yep. So as long as it's lighter, win. Yeah. Well, it's an eighth inch yeah, that's longer. It's yeah, and it might even be less than that, but... The, and it all depends then on what adapter you're putting on it. Like, we're talking just direct thread, right? Well, so. you have a lot of control over weight and length by what you choose to put in the back. Yep. How many As baffles is in there? Uh, this is uh, 12 baffles total, which is probably the most baffled can that we have at this point. I'm trying to think, what's the, the ghost? Sam and L. What's Sam and L? 10. Rich looks baffled by that. I'm baffled. <laughs> Um, Our listeners might be baffled too. Yeah, this is this is the has the highest baffle count in it. Nice, but it works well because the big bore. You sure. pretty much have to fall back on that. And uh, the uh, if we were to do a nomad baffle in here, we could do less baffles, but just because it's more efficient. So uh, you know that type of baffle. A good example is the nomad only has seven baffles and it kills it. It sounds so good. Where other manufacturers are getting similar sound levels, but they might have 10 to 12 or 13 baffles. But to your point, there. if that were chosen, then that would really shine on the very high-pressure cartridges. Yeah, yeah. And you would lose a lot of ground on a lot of lower-pressure, SOCOM-esque kind of 45 ACP stuff. Yep, and that's where this one really does well. Like some of the other uh, cans out there that are competing for the same job, uh, like I just don't think they sound as good across the board on like the smaller stuff. Yeah, or yeah, from small to low pressure, like three hundred blackout. 
with a couple that we tested really just didn't sound as good. I was pretty happy about that because I figured we were going to be right in line with everybody else. This is a really hard thing to push forward. Like, I'll be honest, like the hybrid actually worked really well. I was pretty amazed by that. No, so hybrid is a nice product. It does a great amount of work. And I'd only used it like maybe once ever. And I was like, well, that's okay. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I got out and I began characterizing it across multiple, multiple platforms, it's pretty good. Like, Honestly, if you have a hybrid right now, unless you need another, you know, do more can, uh, there's not a lot of reason to, to, well, to I go think a this. hybrid I'll, I'll is, admit that. I feel like, to me, I mean, we've never cut one up or really gotten all that into it, but the feel that I have for it is it is better on the things that it does when those things have higher pressure. Yeah, that's good characterization. I'm not sure if I said that correctly. But uh, it made sense to me, so it's got to make sense to everyone else. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of so. like uh, the gauge, you know, being next to you guys, I feel like the chumley of the crew. Right? So if that. it makes sense to me, there, you know, it doesn't, the audience will get it. You're <laughs> more a, like, um, who's the old man? That does the takes care of the house for Batman, Alfred. <laughs> You're more like that than Chumley. Oh, well, thank you. Sorry, but he's a uh, kind of a couple steps above. Yeah, that's actually a lot. A I lot don't better. think Alfred's <laughs> ever been to a penitentiary. Alfred's Batman's voice of reason. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, thank you. He's not just a person <laughs> to make fun of all the time. All right. It's funny you say that too, because I do see. And I hate to admit it. I was just talking with another business owner who's an engineer and we had this discussion. I was like, you know, you got to admit your product is amazing, but you need marketing. And like without the marketing, you can have an incredible design. It doesn't matter a whole lot. Like people aren't going to find out about it. It may never take off. So that's where I appreciate what you do because you, you really do like you can make sense of something that, that I've done and you bring me back to where, hey, Todd, this is really incredible, but the market kind of needs to hear this <laughs> and see yeah. this. Well, that's, and that we're, we're listening to our audience. They have been requesting you. They have no idea that what they're going to get is some awesome, um, obviously, breakdown of, of where you came from and who, who, who Todd is, but also the breakdown of this primal can. Uh, so we're, we're killing a couple birds with one stone here. Right on. Because our audience does need to get technical. You know, the the breakdown that you did on um, the Xeno wasn't necessarily for me, although I did learn a lot for it from it. Um, but I don't my my brain doesn't get excited about some of those technical things. But I know a large portion of our audience does. So we're meeting that <coughs> demand, whereas the, the breakdown that Mike did on the Xeno, that's kind of more the pill I can swallow. You know, <laughs> the layman's term version of it. We have a lot of very high-class technical people in our audience. Yeah. And then there's some people more like Rich and I. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be doing more technical stuff, but, right, we're going to do, like, a McGeeking Out series or something like that. Yeah, we, remember, we keep right? talking about that. But yeah. We're going to make that happen. I think we're it's going to become more easy once we get the new office building built. It will. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and the idea is it'll be short, concise, uh, like I'll be honest, I don't want to sit and talk to everybody about really, really nerdy details any more than probably a lot of people that are wanting to swallow it really want to sit and, and do that. So just give know, me the info. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I want to pick out key things like, Hey, this is the reason why we chose a thread where we did, mm. you know, and this is, this is why it's important to you. I'm not a believer in you add a feature because it's, it's cool. You add a feature because there's a benefit that goes with it. Yeah. Because the benefit is truly what sells the product. Right. People think they're buying a feature. Like they're excited about, oh my word, this is all 17.4. It's fully welded. Well, what you're really buying is a really strong can that can handle very high pressures and ends up being lightweight. Mm-hmm. And that's truly what you get out of the material selection right. and the design effort. Well, and from a marketing standpoint, it's important for our audience to know that why we made the decisions that we made. We didn't just make them for the sake of it, right? There's so much thought and detail. Uh, I mean, this is version five, right? This has been a process for you that is, you know, the final product has brought 
it's you know it's like finishing a Michelangelo painting. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different. Uh, this one's tough though because it's still in. The, if you just cut it in half, you'd be like, well, it's it's a can with some cones in it. But there are super subtle details down to the thousands of an inch that make things work, and that's the part that unless you have the goggles on to see it, right. sometimes people don't appreciate that, and that's a tough thing to deal with. What do you but, think your biggest challenge was with this can? Um, really dealing with the big, big bore that goes through it. And, uh, I like big boars and I cannot <laughs> lie. <laughs> well, someone's going to comment. That's a new t-shirt and it would be genius. I'm sorry. You're welcome. I like big boars and I cannot lie. I'm sorry. That's awesome. So it just came to me. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was, that was the key thing, you know, doing that and keeping a baffle structure that kept it light. So those are those challenges, huh? Yeah. It's awesome. Well, you've uh, you've overcome those challenges because that can is sweet. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. When can we have Todd on again? A little McGeeking, then maybe yeah. like next week? You want to do two in a row with Todd? Let's ask the audience. Get excited about this can. Obviously, it's already released since this video has been produced, so it's kind of hard to play that game, huh? Um, but, you know... We hear you. There's other cans that are in the works. Todd is working very hard around the clock. I work in my sleep. Getting hounded by all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we have, I have more help now, which is nice, actually. Yeah. We've got that sweet so, Mike Smith to lean on. Yeah, Mike Smith's doing a ton. He does a lot of heavy lifting. I'd like and to say this. He's Mike designing Smith's some awesome. of his own stuff, too. Like, I'm, like, he's got a can that... You know, we just tasked him, like, dude, go do it. So expect some cool stuff from Mike. And then, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's showing up now is stuff that was in the pipeline. And uh, so we're releasing the hounds with Mike Smith more and more. And then, uh, you know, and even on the administrative side, like, you know, having a product manager for the company, having marketing that's, you know, working with us on all this stuff. Like, we're now, we've ramped up. I feel like we're much more of a legitimate company where before it was a couple of us just doing everything we could to keep up so. mm, which i felt was pretty legitimate yeah it was cool a lot sure. of hats were worn well you can't yeah. do that now it's you need more people yep. there's not enough time in the day let's do this let's do a follow-up video it doesn't necessarily have to be an episode to this podcast episode about the primal can we've got todd here he's gone through some awesome details about this can's this can, excuse me. I know everyone listening has questions. So you can submit your questions through the comment section on uh, our YouTube platform. You can DM us. You can email us. We're going to capture all those questions and maybe we'll do a follow-up video where we can go over all of those questions about this can. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I think that would be. What do you think, Mike? I'm totally into it. That's I want to get some action shots of Todd to mix into our B-roll. Ooh, yeah. As you call it. B-roll. B-roll. <laughs> I like big boars and I cannot lie. There you have it. New t-shirt in the pipeline. You just said it. <laughs> okay, that was awesome. That was awesome. Thanks cool. again Thanks, for guys. coming on and taking the time to drive all the way out into the wilderness. Yeah, no, it's worth it. It's always worth it. High altitude. I think it's time for lunch. Good Good idea. Okay, have a rest a great rest of the week and thanks everyone. We'll, we'll see you next week. Okay. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share with all your home slicers. <laughs> <laughs>